take your Bibles to Genesis chapter 34. I told Sunday school this morning as I was teaching that this could be an adventure. <laughs> Mike Taylor, thank you for letting me use your your tie. I came without a tie. I came without brushing my hair. Uh, I've left half my notes over in the office uh, for different things, and uh, I, I just this cold has been coming on like a freight train. And so, anyway, um, Genesis chapter 34. Let's pray. Father, I ask for your wisdom as we open your word. And I ask for your grace to help us to remember that you are the only source of grace. And so help us to trust wholeheartedly in you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Each year that we move into the 21st century uh, is a year that we move away from the horrors of the 20th century. Sixteen million people died in World War I. This includes soldiers who died as well as civilians who were killed in battle, as well as the deaths that were caused by starvation and disease that were related directly to uh, the war that had, had gripped Europe. Over 60 million people died during World War II. And again, this includes soldiers and civilians killed in battle, as well as the deaths caused by starvation, disease, and of course the war crimes that took place during those years. Those numbers, however, are dwarfed, if you can believe it, pale in comparison to the people who were murdered by their own governments during the 20th century. Best figures we have uh, are that 262, 262 million people were murdered by their own governments. This doesn't include the people killed in wars. Uh, these were people murdered by their own governments uh, in just those 100 years that we call the 20th century. Um, and these figures don't even include the massive numbers of children who were killed by their own mothers through the practice of abortion. All this points out a central biblical truth. And that is there exists within the heart of man a predisposition toward violence toward other human beings. As we've moved into the 21st century, the heart of man is no less um, is no less violent, and likewise, as we look backwards 3,500 years to the time of Jacob, we're going to see that man is equally given to violence. So here's what happened in Exodus 34: uh, Dinah, who is Jacob's only daughter, she ventured out to meet the other young ladies. And on her way, a man named Shechem, he seized her and he raped her. And it's evident later in the text, in fact, verse 26, that he also kidnapped her and took her back to the village um, in the village of Shechem after the, the village uh, in which uh, he, was, he was named after. 
he then uh, Shechem then spoke to his his father and begged his father uh, for his father Hamor to purchase Dinah uh, from Jacob in order that she would be she would become his wife. So look with me at verses one through three. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. Now Jacob uh, ended up finding out about his daughter's rape, but he held his peace until his sons had come back into the the field, uh, come back in from the field. I don't know how I would have reacted had I been um, Dinah's father, but I cannot imagine any of my responses uh, could have been described as holding holding my peace <laughs> or holding my tongue, especially when. Uh, Hamor and Shechem showed up at the door to try and buy my daughter um, for for Shechem after raping her. Like I said, I don't know um, what was going through Jacob's mind, but he he uh, he held his tongue and and um, measured his reaction until his sons had come in from the the field. I think my reaction would have probably been closer to that of Jacob's sons than uh, that of Jacob. So look at verses 5 through 7. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter Dinah, but his sons were with his livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they had heard of it, and the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing must not be done. In verses 8 through 12, you'll find... Uh, Hamor's offer to buy Dinah. Uh, and, and in this offer, Shechem reminds me of a spoiled brat. Dad, I want this woman. Buy her for me. Beginning in elementary school, we had boys showing up at our door uh, wanting to date one of my daughters. And uh, we've even had parents get mad at us when we said, no, we're not going to give permission for our, you know, uh, for one of our daughters to date your son. You know, fourth grade, fifth grade, you know, it, it, it's uh, it's mind-boggling. Uh, we've even had parents call and beg us to try and talk one, or, try and talk our daughters into going out with their sons. <laughs> yeah, that's going to really sway us to to have your uh, child go out with our daughter. Um, and so here's Haymor. Appearing at at uh, Jacob's uh, on Jacob's doorstep or um, opening to his tent, maybe uh, with his father, wanting to um, pay the bride price or or buy Dinah in order that she might become 
his wife. So verses 8 through 12, But Hamor spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us, and take our daughters for yourselves. You shall dwell with us, and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade in it, and get property in it. Shechem also said to her father and to her brother. Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, "Let me find favor in your eyes, and whenever you say to me, whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me for this, for as great a bride price uh, and gift as you will, and I will give you whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. And remember, this whole time." Dinah is back in Shechem against her will. Shechem had acted violently toward Dinah, so Dinah's brothers decide that that they are going to act violently toward Shechem and toward Hamor and toward all the men of that town. And so they set their plan in motion, first by deceit, and then quickly descended into desecration because they used the, the, the sacrament of circumcision, which is a sign of God's grace. They used it as a tool for vengeance. They tricked the men of Shechem to circumcise themselves. Um, I read somewhere years ago uh, about a scientific description of how in, in, incapacitating uh, it would have, have been to be circumcised as an adult, and this without any type of antiseptics or antibiotics. Just And after three days, it says in, uh, in our text, when their pain was at its height, that they set their plan into motion, and, um, and they went and killed the uh, men of Shechem. So verses 13 through 29, the sons of Shechem, I'm sorry, the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully because he had defiled their sister Dinah. And they said to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you, that you will become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. Then we will give our daughter to you, or our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to ourselves, and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. Their words pleased Hamor and Hamor's son Shechem. And the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honored of all his father's house. So Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade in it, for behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take to their daughters, let us take their daughters as wives, and let us 
give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men agree to dwell with us to become one people. When every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised, will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? Only let us agree with them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of his city listened to Hamor and his son Shechem. And every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of his city. On the third day, when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys and whatever was in the city and in the field, all their wealth, all their little ones, all their wives, all that was in the houses, they captured and plundered. And so this is a very violent episode in Israel's history. And I'm still confused, maybe even confounded, by Jacob's response. He can only think of the possibility uh, that his family will be disliked uh, by the, the Canaanites and the other peoples of the land. And his daughter has been raped. And so he says in verses 30 and 31, Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, Should he treat our sister as a prostitute? This sordid chapter includes lust, includes rape, includes kidnapping, lying, vengeance, murder, theft, slavery, self-centeredness on Jacob's part, fear on Jacob's part. 35 years later, I'm sorry, 3,500 years later, with all our advances, with all our education, with all our public service announcements that are always on TV telling us to, to do this good thing or do that good thing or don't do this or don't do that, um, we still see these very same behaviors all in evidence. We see them in individuals. We see them in our nation. We see them in entire cultures. Why are these sinful practices still so prevalent? And the reason is, uh, is given to us in Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 18. What then? Are we Jews any better? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are, are all under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of snakes is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In other words, the reason why these practices are still prevalent is because of the condition of our own hearts as fallen human beings. 
Now what is our hope? Are we doomed as a human race to violence? Are we doomed to attack each other until we finally just nuke ourselves into oblivion? The wrath and and vengeance of man is only truly overcome by the grace of God. And since this is Reformation Sunday, um, where we are celebrating the start of the Protestant Reformation uh, back in 1517, I want to quickly, very briefly, um, and quickly expound the doctrines of grace commonly known uh, as the tulip in order to uh, illustrate the grace of God that we so desperately need. Uh, The tulip is an acrostic. The T stands for total depravity. The U stands for unconditional election. The L stands for limited atonement. The I for irresistible grace. The P for perseverance of the saints. You think all the grief and pain that our own human wrath and vengeance has caused through the centuries would cause us to change, would cause us to evolve as human beings. But the truth is that humanity is enslaved uh, to this deplorable condition that is outlined for us in in Romans uh, chapter 3. Uh, this is what we call total depravity. Sin has broken us. We are fallen human beings. We are so... Um, we do not love our Creator. Rather, we, we worship and serve created things rather than our Creator. We are so willingly rebellious that we are unable um, and, and unwilling to leave our sins behind uh, and truly love our God. Uh, there was a quote. I was hoping I could put my hand on it quickly. Oh, here's where it is. By Vance Havner. He says, Man is not evolving upwards towards a knowledge of God. He was created with a knowledge of God and has been going the other way ever since. Such is our condition. But God in His grace has chosen a people for Himself from before creation. Uh, Before the world was created, God chose a people to be His own treasured possession. And He chose them, not because of anything in us, Um, not because we were lovable. That's why it's called unconditional, or what we call unconditional election. God has chosen a people for Himself, not based on any choices we would we would make, not on uh, any future goodness that we would have, uh, because none of us would stand a chance. He simply chose us because He loved us. That is the only reason we love Him, because He first loved us. And not only did He choose us, but He also paid the full price uh, for our sins. Our sins deserve an eternity of damnation. That's why Jesus Christ came. He came to this earth and took on flesh even as we have flesh in order to die as a substitute for us. 
He who knew no sin became sin for us in order that in Him we might be the righteousness of God. He came and made atonement for us. He bore the full wrath of God in our place. That's the whole reason for the cross. And so when we talk of limited atonement, we are talking about the atonement that Christ made for us. When we talk about limited atonement, we are not saying that it was limited in its power, but only in its scope, that Christ came and died for His people. And He paid the full and complete price. But then what good is that going to do us? Because we are totally depraved people. We are so willingly rebellious that we would never willingly come to God. Christ paid for our sins. But we need to trust in Christ to receive the benefits. What God did was He drew us to Himself. Uh, he called us to Himself. This is what um, the Bible. This is what we call uh, irresistible grace. Before we loved God, He loved us, and He drew us to Himself. How does John six forty four go? Jesus said. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Or John 6.65, Jesus said, This is why I told you no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. The Father draws us. That's our only hope, because we would never come on our own. And so we call this irresistible grace because God in His grace irresistibly draws us to Himself. And then, we now now belong to God. What does that mean? Well, we're so weak that we would eventually fall away. The perseverance of the saints. God says that He will keep us. John 6.44 No one comes to the Father unless the Father who sent me draws him, Jesus said. And that verse continues, And I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus keeps His own. We get focused on ourselves. We start going our own way. And God draws us back through the power of the Holy Spirit. He draws us back by the Spirit working in this uh, renewed faith and repentance. And we turn from our sins and back to God. He keeps us for Himself. One application since it's uh, past the hour. Today, we live um, in distressing times. I know several of you are distressed about the political situation our country is in. Many of you are distressed by the economic situation our nation is in. Many of you are concerned for your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. Others are concerned about the hostility to the Christian faith that we are seeing openly expressed in our culture. I want to remind you of the doctrines of grace. Because these doctrines of grace point us back to our gracious God who loves us so much that even before we loved Him, He loved us. 
calls us to Himself. Sent His Son to die for us and keeps us as His own treasured possession. Whatever our future holds, if you belong to Jesus, you know that that future means that God loves you and that He will never leave you or forsake you. Let's pray together. Father, on this day that we are remembering the um, the doctrines of grace, our text of, of Scripture as we've been working our way through the, the book of Genesis reminds us that what is in the heart of man would never recommend us to You. Your own chosen nation uh, Jacob and his sons, um, how deceitful, how um, how unholy, how vengeful, how murderous. And yet you love them and bound yourself to them. Father, we are sinners. We thank you that you have bound yourself to us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, as we are tempted to fear about the future, as we are tempted to fear about our own present circumstances, help us to remember that you love us. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen.